clubhouse. This is Lauren. And this is Steph. And we're covering episode three, 70 cents, little fires everywhere. We're also quarantined in our houses. How's that going for you, Steph? My kids are actually being really good, but they're definitely starting to get bored. You like your job as a new teacher? (laughs) I do not. (laughs) I Yeah, I'm like texting my friends like, I'm a kindergarten teacher now. How did this even happen to me? I've never wanted to be a teacher. Yeah, it's it's kind of funny because I was a teacher, but I taught middle school. I didn't teach kindergarten. I feel fortunate for that background because I feel like I actually kind of have an idea of where to go with this. And I so, feel totally unprepared. So like waking up at 10, staying yes. up till 1 a.m. Exactly. <laughs> like, ah, have you bathed today? Nah, it's fine. We'll bathe tomorrow. Who cares? No, these are exceptional times. Like, where else do I got to go? Why do I got to get out of bed? I don't, there's no rush for the day. I mean, really, the world has stopped for just a little bit. I mean, shouldn't we take this time to be a little different? I I do have to say, I feel like my um, life was going pretty fast doing all the extracurriculars in the school and just never a time to even sit and reflect. And I feel like this time has been really introspective for me. Like just knowing that my kid's childhood is fleeting and this is like an actually an opportunity despite a lot of stressful things going on. I'm not trying to diminish that. I know like, yes, we're worried about jobs and money and getting sick, trying to prevent that and all of that and worried about all the people that we know that are going through all these things. But On the flip side, I'm just trying to use this as an opportunity to really just soak in this time with my family. So I kind of hope everybody is is sort of there a little bit. But how about we talk about little fires everywhere? (laughs) Even better. You can tell. We are socially isolated people. We just, we got to catch up. (laughs) I need to see you. Like, I... Would so much rather be doing this in the studio and where I could see you where and I can't laugh even with see you. your face. But um, as we know, Little Fires Everywhere, it's set in the 90s. And we love to point out the things that they say that are 90s references. So what are some things you saw? Let's just name them. Because like, take turns. They definitely reference 90210. And yes. Brenda and Dylan, right? <laughs> That's so funny that they're like gauging when they can have sex based on when Brenda and Dylan did it. Because, uh, you know, that know. makes a lot of sense. I mean, yeah, that just shows you pop culture and teenagers. Uh I mean, I always question how much it shapes people, but there you go. It did there. I 143'd and 911'd you. Did you know what that meant? Oh, yeah. She texted him. I mean, not not texted him. Oh, no, she did not. (laughs) She beeper with a pager, right? (laughs) Exactly. Yes. Beepers were just barely ahead of my time. I never had a pager or I had a pager for like a hot minute before I got a flip phone. But you know what? Are you a year older older than than, two years older than me? I think two years older than you, but I didn't have one for very long. All the older cool kids had pagers, but yes, I didn't have I nine one one. Yeah, just for anybody that doesn't know, one four three means I I love love you, you. and then nine one one's like call me immediately, call me back, and then oh, at the school dance. I get knocked down. The Chumbawanda. I, I get knocked down, <laughs> but I get up again. And you're never going to walk me song. down. I know. I was like, I need to download that. I know. Good music. I'm, know. D- I'm down with the 90s. Yeah. Okay. So um, also, Moody, he said he wasn't going to go to the dance. If they played that, he's like that fucking Sugar Ray song. Sugar Ray song, yeah. 
Did do you know what the Sugar Ray song was? I don't know. I wasn't sure which one he meant. Probably all of them. What is, is it? Is it sugar, is sugar? How you look so? That's not Sugar Ray, is it? Is Sugar no. Ray the one that did the butterfly? The sugar baby, you're my butterfly. Oh, I think so. That one. I feel really bad that I don't even know. Well, guess what's going to be on our playlist tomorrow? I get knocked down. <laughs> <laughs> well, I I know they also played like when it's over. I don't know if they played that, but I know that's a Sugar Ray song. Or fly. So, why yeah. don't you fly? Okay, we need to make a 90s playlist now. I know it. I'm I on it. it. I on Actually, it. whenever I listen to Sirius Satellite Radio, I always listen to the 90s station, which I think dates me so hard. Mm-hmm. It's like I'm like that person that's like stuck in an era. I listen to I listen to 90s and 80s and even some of the 70s. Really? Well, I yeah. don't like 80s music that much and I don't I like can... 70s music that much. But 90s music, man. Yeah. Just give me some Alanis Morissette my hand in my pocket. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure maybe we'll hear that song at some point in this show. I really hope that they make an Elena's reference. I think it would be like, yeah, I mean, they've referenced Ellen, uh, Ricky Lake and Oprah. Yeah. Did did you notice whenever um, Elena's on the phone, she's on a landline. If anybody knows what that is. Uh, right. And she's on this landline and she says, trip, get off the line. I'm on the phone. Yeah. Because, you know, he could just pick up the phone from anywhere in the house and, like, be on the phone call, which is something, like, in this day and age, like, I just feel like so many things that they say in the show, if you hadn't lived it. Right. You wouldn't you would catch have it. No clue what they even mean. And also, it makes me wonder, like, how many shows I've watched that I completely miss so many references because things like this that I I didn't live in that era so I don't know that were 80s or 70s which is probably why like your parents think that some of these other shows are funny and you're just like I don't get it probably do you like Seinfeld I do like that show I never did watch the entire series like I did with friends or yeah like some of the other shows but love friends but I have to say Seinfeld my parents love it so much like love it love it love it like I love friends you know yeah. I mean, I, I, I don't hate it. Like, I like it, but it, I don't know. I just don't connect with it. Just don't get it. I don't, know I, if it's, don't get it. I don't know if it's one of those things. I also noticed Brian's flat top. You yeah. Know, Lexi's His boyfriend. Hair. <laughs> Who does that remind you of from the 90s? Fresh Prince, right? Oh, yeah. So, some issues that were discussed on here. I feel like we have a lot of issues in oh, this episode. Oh, we got issues. We There's got issues. There's no doubt about it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so let's just jump right in with BB and how she gave up her babies with hopes of a better life for that baby, right? I am guessing. Do you yeah. think that she had any better choice? I mean, the baby's hungry and not eating and she goes to try to buy formula and because she's 70 cents short, she's turned away. Does she have any other choice? Ultimately, I think, yes, probably she could have done different things. I was thinking a lot about this today because I was thinking a lot about, too, of the fact that she's an illegal immigrant. So did she have any rights or other options in terms of government assistance or whatever? And so I did a lot of Googling today, and it seems like she didn't have any real options in terms of government assistance or anything like that. But, you know, I think there's got to be some sort of women's shelter that has free formula. There's got to be some sort of church offering something. For sure. I mean, unless she just didn't know, but 
it didn't seem like she really tried a lot of options. Well, why do you think that she didn't try a little bit more? I mean, it's very extreme to give your baby up. She obviously mm-hmm. loved her baby. When you have a newborn and they're just crying endlessly, I could see how she could reach this point of just desperation, of not knowing what to do. So I mean, kind of like ba- a breaking point? You think? Yeah. Like if your baby's been crying for four days and you know that she's starving and she's not eating, yeah. I mean, that feels pretty desperate. Yeah, like your child's life is in your hands. So I did a lot of thinking about that. Like I've had three newborns, two of them at the exact same time. That was not easy. Yeah, I mean, no. I can definitely remember nights of holding two crying newborns who aren't eating, who have been fed or have been changed and have been burped and they're still crying and then you're crying you know it's like you have nothing else to give and you don't know why they're crying and you don't know what else to do so four days of that with no help it doesn't seem like very long in order to warrant giving up your baby but it is a desperate situation watching this scene just it was horrible it made me tear up and cry and feel such pain for her Yes. And pain for any woman that's ever had a hungry baby mm-hmm. or been hungry themselves and all of the people that are hungry in the world. It just made me feel this for them. But also, I feel like it went from like hungry baby, crying baby, leave baby at the fire station. And I just felt like I didn't see her reach out and try to do anything about it to help it. Mm -hmm. help the situation. I didn't see her ask a friend at work or walk up to a stranger. Right. And say, I mean, I'm just trying to think if it were me. Like I would go to more than one corner gas station begging for someone to. Oh yeah. I I would be begging and pleading with everybody I saw. I mean, I know that because she was an illegal immigrant, I think, think that she had more fear. Also, one of the reasons that I can ask this, though, you know, is it just comes down to privilege because I've never been hungry. I've never had a hungry baby. I've never been an illegal immigrant. I've, you know, it didn't look like she appear that she had a man helping her out. She was mm-hmm. a, appeared to be a single mom. She had a lot of challenges that I've never faced. And so I can't really understand the depth of her desperation in doing that. Only can kind of think that if it meant my child living or dying, like you're going to give them a chance at life. I was thinking the same thing. I've never had to struggle to feed my children, but I am a mother and I think every mother could identify that you just want to do what you think is best for your child, no matter the cost to yourself. Yeah, absolutely. I completely agree. That is a lot of the like what people joke about motherhood or say, you know, little comments or whatever. It's like, it's painful for you. You know, it's hard. There's so many things about motherhood that are a sacrifice, but you do them for your child, not because you just enjoy or want to. It's because you love them that much. So I can see how she, if that's what she thought really was best, she would absolutely. do that for her child no matter the cost to herself, you know? And I also think that we can't really judge her based on our level of privilege that, mm-hmm. again, that we're seeing because we've never had those experiences. We can't really understand exactly. Yeah, I agree. So I also felt like privilege was addressed highly in this episode. They do compare, they do a parallel. Think about how the world responded to this illegal immigrant in a store with a crying, hungry baby that was 70 cents short versus Izzy 
who's wearing a prom dress, looks beautifully dressed, made up, gets on a bus. She's 70 cents short for a bus ride, which, by the way, a bus ride is a lot less expensive than a can of formula, right? Yeah. So it would be even more of a deficit, you know, in comparison and less of a necessity. And guess what? Izzy got to ride the bus. Mm-hmm. I noticed that the world responds differently to the more privileged versus the less privileged in that way. I think so too, yeah. Have you ever had a situation that you feel like you can relate in that way? I actually have an example of myself. Um, So I did an internship in Washington, D.C. when I was in college. And on the weekends, sometimes I would take the train to different places, New York City, or one time we went to Baltimore. But I just use that time to like really kind of explore up there. But I mean, I was a young college student, didn't really know what I was doing and didn't have any money really to do these trips with. So I used the cheapest routes possible, which would mean like taking trains and then walking through cities to get to wherever I was going, (laughs) (laughs) maybe catching a cab. But I was in Baltimore and apparently I got off the wrong train stop and I was walking with my rolly suitcase. And down some ghetto street. And I had like a neighborhood watch guy stop and pick me up and be like, get in the car. Like, you don't belong in the street. <laughs> like, you are going to get, like, I don't even know what's going to happen to you, but it's going to be bad. And I was like, do I trust you? Or right. do, do I, I get in your do car? Do I get in the or? car with you? I was with a friend too. But oh, okay. apparently we looked very out of place. That's funny. And as a result of that, we got like a free ride to our hotel. Right. <laughs> like, oh my God. Whereas you think like if I had just looked like a homeless, hungry, maybe stoned out on drugs and kind of fit in with the setting, he would have just driven on by and not offered to help me. So that was a parallel that I thought there. So I wanted to ask you... Why do you think Mia inserted herself into this situation of helping her coworker, Bibi, find her baby? Oh, man. <laughs> because to me, if she's on the run and she's hiding something and she's watching out, you know, watching her back, you wouldn't really want to insert yourself into a situation of like abandoned children and trying to find the child. Like that's a attention grabbing subject if someone found out about it. Like a reporter, it could make the news, you know? (laughs) Yeah, for sure. Well, Mia, as much as she seems like she's trying to keep people away from her business, Mm -hmm. she is definitely inserting herself and very invested in this problem in a way that makes me obviously tune in to as you know exactly what you're asking why I thought it was really I mean skipping to my predictions the only connections I can make is I do remember that BB left her baby at the Cleveland Fire Department and the only other time I've heard Cleveland is when Pearl was in the guidance counselor's office and they were like oh you're from Cleveland you can't go in this math class or whatever Mm -hmm. you know back and I know that would have been a year ago because the baby's about a year old and I know Pearl has already into her sophomore year whatever has been to three high schools so this would have been within the last year timing Mm -hmm. works out I don't know if somehow I'm suspicious that Mia is somehow involved in a way that BB doesn't realize and that she is trying to make something right maybe she's somebody that saw that BB needed help and she didn't come to her rescue. Hmm. I also feel like Mia lost a baby at some point, right? Yeah, uh, that's what you have mentioned, I believe, last episode. Yeah. So that's kind of where my brain went went with it was, 
you know, maybe she just identified with this mother. Or what if, I mean, I know this is really like really random, but like what if she lived next door to her in Cleveland or whatever and or through the wall, like they shared an apartment, the same apartments, <laughs> whatever. And what if like the baby was crying and she's knocking on the wall? Because we've already talked about knocking on the walls too. And she's like, hmm. shut the baby up or, you know, <laughs> like something like she couldn't stand it because of her own loss said or went off or did something that prompted hmm. this is I mean I know that's like way far out I was just like if she did something that was like the straw on the camel's back that just like caused her to be like you know I can't, I can't take care of this baby I'm just gonna have to give her away <laughs> like my neighbors are now <laughs> on me I don't know I think we're gonna have to find out a little bit more about this because she definitely raised some suspicion with Elena so I think Elena noticed her acting strangely and then she volunteered to take pictures at the birthday party and then she was there and then she was in the baby's room and then she disappeared. So I think Elena's going to have her sort of radar up on this and at least question her for sure. Agree. So what do you think about how Mia took it upon herself to figure out if this baby she learned about was Bibi's baby and how she went to her and told her I found your baby and sort of instigated this whole like go find your child scenario well I definitely wondered her motivation and I and also thought is this going to be her project is this going to be like her new subject of art Mm -hmm. or something that was what I was thinking I was like okay this is going to be her next you know they're always on the move they're always chasing after whatever it is this is going to be the new thing So she um, is sort of helping Elena plan this one-year-old's birthday party, and then she kind of figures out that this baby is Chinese and was adopted about a year ago. So I think she sort of figures it out, pieces it together, and so when she finds the red dot on the baby's head and she, she like, figures out that it's the same baby. I thought it was kind of weird how she went back to her friend Bibi and was like, I found your baby and here she is. And she's like, okay, well, let's, let's like call a lawyer on Monday. And the, uh, Bibi is like so desperate, like, no, I have to go see my baby. And I want to, I like, wouldn't you, I understand that sentiment of like, I need to go right now to find my baby. But then she sort of just like walks away from the, she's like, okay. And just yeah, like washes her hands of the situation. I'm going to go sleep with my boss now. I thought that like, was so weird. Randomly. Yeah. I definitely understand that urgency. Like anytime you are solving a mystery about something, like I don't know if you've ever had like piecing something together yeah. and you're trying to figure something out. It's like all you can think about. It's exciting. You have a problem. Oh, I found the solution. I can't wait to tell you. I mean, it can be anything that somebody has a problem and you you find like something that might work for them or something that might be a connection. It's very exciting to run and tell them. I completely understood why she ran and did that. And she did urge her, like, there's a right way to do this. Yeah. But then BB said, if this was Pearl, would you wait? And I think that's what got her. She was just like, no, I probably would just go kidnap her. (laughs) I guess. I don't know. I thought that was, no, I don't think so. I mean, so what do you think is the correct way for BB to handle this situation now that she knows where her baby is? You're an illegal immigrant. You gave your baby up at a fire station. You have now found the baby. You have deep regrets about it. Should she get her baby back? I don't know, but I definitely wouldn't barge into a house full of a ton of people and scream at them. Mm-hmm. I probably that wouldn't help do her that. <laughs> <laughs> not, not the way I would go about it. I don't know, because I think that she doesn't have a lot of options, like if you back up and just think about it. I mean, obviously, she's reacting out of emotion in that situation, but 
if she were to back up and think about it, she doesn't have any real legal options. She doesn't have any money to explore legal options. But maybe she could appeal to the humanity of Mirabella's mom and dad. Absolutely. I think that like sometimes law gets in the way of human kindness and what good people have. And, you know, laws are there to protect people people's rights and stuff but you know sometimes people are willing to budge and bend and be flexible just out of understanding human emotions right if it were me and I was BB and I had done you know I had given up my baby and felt regretful and then found her and just obviously felt urgent I don't think I would have gone that night during the party right but I think (laughs) very soon thereafter I would go knock on the door and introduce myself and explain what was going on and say that, you know, I really would love a chance to see my baby and get to know her. I mean, I think that would have definitely been her best approach. Because think about it too, Linda and Mark, they love this baby. They would want what's best for her. And they may be open to an open relationship of like, you can see her or we'll we'll send you pictures and a letter or something. Elena was able to explain to Mia why she was throwing such a big party because she was explaining all the hardship that her friends had been through just trying to get, you know, a baby in the first place. So right. it made us appeal to yeah, you to know, Linda. Sympathize with them too, you know? Yeah. Because if we hadn't had that scene, I think we would be like, oh, she needs her baby back. Give, you know? Agreed. Yeah. It made me definitely consider Linda and, and Marcus. Like, they love this baby too. Like, they've wanted this forever. Like, I know what it's like to want a baby and not be able to have one or, or not know when you can have one. And then when you finally get a baby, it's just, you just can't explain how incredible it feels. And so as a mom to this baby, she would want to include BB in her life or or at least somehow understand the the way the mother feels too. Like she yeah. would have some sort of understanding of how that feels to have a baby or want a baby and not have it or to lose a baby or I have to ask do you watch This Is Us at all? I do, but I'm a little bit behind. Okay, but you know that Rebecca, the mom, yes. knew who Randall's dad was, right? Yeah. Okay, and then she withheld that from him his whole life. And then that's like a big adult resentment is that she didn't tell him. The reason I make that connection, I think a lot of the people that watch this show might probably watch that show too. Mm-hmm. They just seem like the same type of viewing audience. But the reason I bring that up is because... Okay, if you're the adopting mother and you've met your baby's biological mother and then you keep that from them, that could cause some big problems for the adoptive mom and their child Mm -hmm. later on too, you know, because a lot of kids that are adopted, they really long to just wonder and know where they came from. I feel like she would have been able to appeal to Linda and sort of maybe come to some sort of understanding or commonplace with that, you know? Yeah. And another example in this show of where um, people make exceptions for people is think about how Elena seems to make all these exceptions for Mia. We know that Elena is typically very kind of strict and has high expectations for everybody in her life and needs things to be a certain way. But somehow when it comes to Mia, she's exceptionally lenient and tolerant, 
giving and generous when typically she's like tough and expects so much from others. I'm pointing this out to say that human goodness can come out. I mean, why mm-hmm. do you think that she is this way with Mia? I'm also suspicious about why is she this way with Mia when she's not like this to the rest of her family? You know, she's just mentioned a few times that she just wants to help or she's trying to be nice. I think she kind of sees Mia as someone who needs help or in need or could use a little extra helping hand. And I think that her motivation is in a good place. Because, I mean, like we've said, she definitely doesn't need the help around the house. I think she was just trying to offer her a different option so she wouldn't have to work late and be away from her daughter. I definitely think that Elena has a, I don't know the exact word, but she feels guilty or undeserving for being privileged. She feels like she's got to help or she's got to give back or she has an obligation because she has... She has things. She has an obligation to help others and feels a little undeserving of of some of the stuff she has. Can you think of a time, have you ever felt guilty or undeserving for moments when you are feeling more privileged than people around you? Yeah, of course. Well, and it's also too the whole saying of it's better to give than to receive. Like I've always practiced that in my life, like just giving back in whatever way. It's not usually big ways, but... I think generally people's nature is to sort of give back and help each other out. I think Um, so too. I think that she's just trying to give back and share some of her blessings with other people. I think that's too why she, you know, she mentions that's also why she's doing such an elaborate party for her friend because her friend was there for her. Yeah. Which I thought was really sweet when she just said, you know, she struggled to have a child and yet she was there for me when I had kids and she threw me baby showers. She said she threw her four baby showers. Yeah, that's an amazing friend. Yeah, I mean, I would think like normally, do they even get a second or do you ever like, do you give a third and a fourth baby shower? (laughs) I don't think many people do. (laughs) Yeah, I think that's part of her nature too, Elena. She's just trying to give back to her friend and, and I think she's also just trying to sort of give a little extra to Mia. So have you ever felt like your problems were trivial in the scope of problems of others? Yeah, definitely, for sure. Can you think of an example? Well, I mean, it's easy to get caught up in your problems and see sort of what's going on in your world. And a lot of times I'm reminded of this, like my problems really aren't all that bad whenever I just look outside myself. Like even a story on the news about someone in a different country or, you know, you just hear people discussing what's going on in the world and you realize that like you actually have a lot and the little problem of something not working properly in your house and the guy will never show up to fix it. That's really not, you know, a very big problem to have. Yeah, and exactly. So Lexi in this episode, she ends up using Pearl's letter to the guidance counselor to be her inspiration for her Yale acceptance letter. Where, mm-hmm. If you remember in the acceptance letter, she was asked to write about like some kind of obstacle that she overcame or this right. big thing. But fortunately, she comes from, you know, a family that she just really hasn't had any big moments at this point in her life that she's really had to overcome. And so having to write this letter was a big challenge for her. And she ends up lying about it. What do you think about that? I can actually totally relate to Lexi in that. To me, I'm thinking of those creative writing classes you had to take in high school or college. And and I am a lot like Lexi in that at 17, I hadn't really faced a whole lot of life-altering issues that I had to overcome. Exactly. And so I feel like she's 
not wrong and that she's like, what else am I supposed to write about? I have nothing else to say. You know, the best example she could come up was like not getting a part in a play. And that is a really trivial issue. It seems trivial, but you know that it was actually really upsetting, I'm sure. Right. But that that's my point is like she has to feel guilty that her problem isn't grand Big enough. enough or yeah. something. And on the reverse side of that, like it, it makes her seem like a brat or something that she doesn't have any problems, but she shouldn't have to feel feel, feel guilty about that, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like, I, I, you know, I like how her dad's like, you'd think that Yale could come up with a better question. And it's like, I mean, are all the children applying to Yale really dealing with big life issues? But I agree that she doesn't relate to that question. She doesn't have a way to really answer that. I was trying to think about what I would have written at 17. I feel like I'm in the same boat as her of, I don't know that I would have had all that much to say. I probably would have described an issue with friends or how I had to deal with my parents not letting me do something or I don't, you know, it's like the, the examples I could come up with or think that I had experienced at 17 were not that great. So, or you, or you didn't (laughs) overcome them. Like you hadn't handled them well. If I can think about the problems from high school, I, you know, didn't handle them. So it's not something I was like, did you overcome it or did you just get over it? You know, (laughs) I I didn't. (laughs) I'm still dealing with it. Uh, So Brian, her boyfriend, is just livid when he finds out that she has used Pearl's hardship or story as her own. I'm trying to wrap my brain around why he's so mad about it. I think, first of all, it's just a lie. It's a lie, but also... He experiences racism yes. that she she doesn't understand doesn't understand because she can't. And I feel like he, you know, the little comments from even her family to him, it's like he experiences that from every, you know, even his girlfriend and his girlfriend's mom when she's like introduces her to Pearl, like, oh, I'm sure you guys have a lot in common. And oh, he's like, yeah, 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 like you like basketball, basketball and rap. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> oh my gosh, I was so insensitive of her to say. So I, you know, I get why he's upset about it and why it's a big deal to him. Well, and the, and at dinner, she was talking about Martin Luther King and yeah. like she, and she, just, w- she wanted mean, to be included in the minorities group. She's like, I don't know why I can't go to the minorities achieving or whatever group. And he's like, well, because you're not black. <laughs> she just doesn't get well, it. As I said, well, it affected us all. Like yes. we were all, which I can agree, like to be moved by equal rights yes even when i'm not the one that's being discriminated against like it does affect everybody and it is moving but at the same time like i think there's just a level that because i'm not a minority or i don't look like one i actually am a card-carrying cherokee indian mm-hmm. but yeah <laughs> but you he wouldn't know that by looking at me so i don't experience any kind of racism or anything right because of it. So I just kind of have to accept that I might not ever fully understand. Right. Just as Lexi just doesn't get it. And that's what he says to her. You just don't get it. Yeah. Do you think Pearl was upset about it? Because she didn't seem to really care. I think that Lexi only told Pearl about it because Brian was so upset. Oh, that's the only reason. Yeah. Lexi did that to clear her own. Yes. You know, she just wanted to make sure. She didn't really even explain it fully. 
either. No, she she skirted around it. She's yeah. like, oh, you were the inspiration for it. I think that Pearl sort of misled a little bit as to the true nature of what happened. But I, it doesn't really seem that Pearl minds all that much. Pearl seems to be pretty cool about who she is. And she seems a little bit oblivious that racism would even be happening or whatever. Whereas like Brian's trying to like feed it to her. She seems like she's kind of like, what are you even talking about? Like, yeah. This like is he goes to her and it's like, you know, you don't have to be okay with this, right? Yeah. So I think she's a little confused. She didn't seem to really appreciate Brian. Honesty is a big topic in this. Um, and you were talking about how Lexi wasn't quite honest. There's some other things about that people being dishonest in this episode. Pearl, she is confronted by Mia, her mom, mm-hmm. whenever she comes home. And, you know, Lexi has bought her a dress to go to homecoming. That's like a really expensive dress. Again. Privileged versus non-privileged, mm-hmm. you know. Pearl would have otherwise had to go to the Goodwill to get her dress, and her friend is able to just buy her a dress. But she doesn't want her mom to know that she got that dress. And Mia's really upset about it. Oh, yeah. She's like, so this is what we're going to do? Like, you're going to lie to me about it? And, well, she's upset she bought her the dress, too. She's like, you're not Lexi's little project or whatever. They don't own you. She said yeah. something like that. I'm like, how and, does buying your dress equate to that? But I think Well, let's talk sees... about that. I feel like Mia is insulted by it. Mm-hmm. As if what she has provided is not enough. Pearl kind of says that in a really mean way, too. Yeah. And is she out of line? Well, I mean, kind of. I, I, I No, I, I think that she was out of line. Yeah. I mean, her mom has provided her with everything she needs. Her mom has provided with her with the bare minimum of what she needs and what she can afford to give her and love. So it seems like Pearl is resentful that Mia isn't giving her more. Yeah. Which is kind of an entitled attitude. But at the same time, she sees all of this stuff at the Richardson's house that she doesn't have. Like, Mm -hmm. doesn't have a dad. She doesn't have her, well, she has her own room now, but she doesn't have like a nice house. And she's never even thought about whether she was going to go to college or. Right. She just doesn't have this educational support and stability of living in the same place for a long time. And I think she's resentful about these things. But Pearl comes back at Mia on the topic of honesty versus dishonesty. He's like, okay, you want me to be honest? Okay. Uh, Tell me who's my father. Tell Mm -hmm. me who are my grandparents. Tell me the truth about my race. Like, she doesn't even know, is my dad black? Is my dad white? Like, what is the race even? What is her background? She knows nothing about where she comes from, really. Yeah. I was a little confused as to why Lexi seemed to sort of push Pearl into that. She was trying to be nice and like buy her this dress. But then she sort of like went in a little on this issue of like, well, you have to be mixed with something. And I told Brian he was mixed with something. And but I don't know. It's just she was being really insensitive about it. Oh, yeah. She got that in her head. Yeah. I don't like, know why that she did that. I thought that was really mean. <laughs> but like you said, it just pushed Pearl to be asked for that honesty then. Like, well, fine. If we're going to say we're being honest about everything, you you won't tell me about my dad. You won't tell me about my grandparents. And so I think, and Mia just, they kind of walk away from it. She didn't want to answer at all. Yeah, she went in the dressing room and was like about to cry over it. Mm -hmm. You know what? I think it's just back to privilege again. I I talk about privilege a lot because I just felt like it's a big issue is just the fact that Lexi thought she could say that. Mm -hmm. 
you know? Yeah, that Lex, is so offensive. Because of her privilege, she feels like she does have a voice. So she is allowed to say what she thinks about other people's lives. And another thing that Lexi has said, oh, next year when I'm at Yale. Like, she hasn't even considered that she might not get accepted to Yale. Right. It's not even a possibility that she might not get accepted. Right. A kind of entitled attitude. Like she's entitled to know the details of Pearl's life. She's entitled to get into whatever college she wants to get into. So on the topic of honesty, Elena is in the car with Izzy. I thought this was a really great moment of her trying to reach out, which we haven't seen from Elena too. So I was happy that she tried to connect with Izzy and just say, like, ask her what's up. And so she's trying to relate with Izzy dealing with these girls at school. And so she tells her the story of like, well, I was being made fun of when I was younger for not having any boobs. And so she patted her bra like little by little until her boobs actually came in. And Izzy was like, that's a terrible story. So basically, (laughs) you overcame your shame of no boobs by lying about it. Yeah. And so, uh, congratulations. Yeah. I thought that was funny. But Elena was like, no, really think about it. She says that everybody's telling a story. She just shaped the story she wanted told about her. And so she tells Izzy to not let those girls shape the story for you. I really was considering whether you think this is good advice or not. I don't think she should tell her to live a lie for sure. However, if people are saying things about you that aren't true, you do have to make it right. I would think it would be most important that my daughter knew the truth about herself. Right. And uh, and that would be the thing that mattered the most. And so trying to understand who she is. I would agree. I would I would have thought that she should have told her daughter to be who you are to live that truth. Like Moody does. Moody comes to her and says, "Who? what are you doing? Like, you you have to be who you are. Like, you're stronger than this. You're That's capable. That's what everybody loves about you, right? Yeah. Like, don't let these girls bully you. Yeah. You don't have anything to prove to them. Like, you don't care what they think. You don't care what mom and dad think. Why do you care what those girls think? Like, that's what everybody loves about you. Is yeah. That I you, loved that he said that to her. It was, it was like the perfect thing for a brother to say. So I, I was giving a lot of thought to this idea of like shaping the story you want told about you. And she was like proud of it. She's like, well, I think that was my first moment as a journalist. Elena always has a way, in my opinion, of messing up with Izzy. Yeah. Like she leans in and like you think she's going to have this good moment and then she messes it up. Like think about how in the last show she was talking about how like she really missed her babies needing her. Well, in Mm -hmm. this episode, Izzy comes out and she's like, mom, I need you. And she cut herself shaving. And so Izzy's like drops everything and is like going to be there for this moment of shaving legs, which by the way, Steph, when did you start shaving your legs? <laughs> not high school though. No, right? it was way before. Yeah, it was way before, before high that. School. So I, I surely think, that's not the first. Well, I guess maybe she I'm cut herself. Like if that's the first time she ever shaved her <laughs> legs, like she's a little late to the game. This was a beautiful moment. And then she had to mess it up whenever she added that lipstick 
oh, now it's perfect. Or something right. like she yeah. said. She something said something like, about being perfect. And then she just walked out. <laughs> I thought that was weird too. She just left the room. I don't know. I just feel like she has a way of like bookending it with the wrong thing to say. Sabotaging every <laughs> conversation. Even whenever, you know, Izzy's having this problem with the, these girls and she like the, the way she's like, oh, I had this problem too. And is talking about her boobs. I was thinking maybe she told Izzy to do that just because like every teenage girl just wants to fit in at school, like just not to be noticed, not to be called out. As a parent, you want your child to to not experience being different or the one that stands out. And so I actually relate to that mindset a little bit of like you don't want your child to experience these hardships. A slippery slope, right? Mm-hmm. My oldest son, he has autism. It's just a weird thing to navigate in terms of socially with people. Because he is different, struggles with some social interactions. And so as his parents, we want to protect him from having negative interactions with other kids. We want him to be able to talk to other kids and, you know, have a friendship or whatever. For sure. But we don't want to just broadcast it out there and like tell everybody everywhere we go that he has autism. So it's like a really weird struggle for us of like, do we tell them ahead of time or do we show up and see what happens? Yeah, I could see I could see it being really a difficult decision on what to do. It kind of comes down to the situation. Like there are times, like say, for example, we're going to sign him up for summer camp. We feel the need to go to the director or the person in charge and, and explain. Yeah, if somebody else is going to be in charge of him besides you guys, I would think it would be appropriate for them to know. Like the best way to help him. Yeah. When we are going somewhere, you know, less where he's on his own we feel like we can sort of see where the situation takes us. And I think we've sort of taken the approach that like, that's not the only thing about him. And we don't want that to be what everybody knows about him. Absolutely. Like you don't want him to be the token poster child for autism, right? Because there's, there's like so much more to who he is. And also if that's what you, if that's the first thing you tell everybody about him, I mean, you could create a self-fulfilling prophecy for him and exactly, limit, yeah. limit his like kind of expectations for like, I mean, obviously you understand that he has challenges that, you know, most people don't have. Those are going to come out like sometimes, you know, as I think as long as you're understanding to that and are trying to help him through that. Yeah. And we really want to like, as he gets older to speak for himself too. Like if that's something he wants to tell people in that situation, then that's fine. You know, we don't want to put that out there before him, I guess, but it's a hard road to navigate. I mean, it's, so my point is too, like, I think sometimes telling people that sort of saves the struggle for him a little bit, like, because people then become a little bit more understanding of his behavior or a little bit more, give him more space or more time or more accommodation to, you know, accomplish something. And so it can help him in certain situations. You know, maybe that's Elena's motivation of just like, well, if you fit into or told people what you wanted them to know about you, it would be like less trouble for you, you know? Maybe her motivation's a little bit good in that. But I think I would encourage my son to just be who you are. There's a lot of talk in the like autism world about sort of making these children like fit into our world mm-hmm. versus allowing them to like be 
a part of our world because a lot of therapies and stuff are geared towards helping them behave in a way that we want. It's a really weird conversation that goes on in these like special needs groups of like, well, are you making him fit into the way you want him to behave? Or are you trying to help him fit into the world around him and be successful? Yeah. It's it's a weird thing to think about. It's actually pretty hard to like always reconcile. <laughs> this goes back to, you know, last time I mentioned his clothes. It's like, yeah, that is something that is his decision. And by me forcing him to wear something that like physically he has a sensory reaction to, that's sort of making him fit into my world. Yeah. There's these certain issues that I'm going to let him make the call. And I do think about that. Like I tried not to sort of make him fit into what we want him to do. But there is certain ways you have to behave. Like he doesn't struggle with this, but he does, you know, you have to keep your clothes on in public. That's sort of mandatory. Yeah. You know, you can't just take your clothes. There's some social norms that you want him to fit within. And you you don't want him to stand out in a negative way. I think that's... That's true. That's your concern. Like you, you want him to fit in. You want him to be able to make friends. And watching your child struggle, like in the way that... Elena's watching Izzy struggle. It's just so hard. Seeing my son struggle with friends is really hard. But I can't go to that other child and say, like, you have, like, please react this way. Like, it's hard to watch and it's hard to navigate. And some, and, uh, and it's hard to know what to say. Cause even sometimes kids and or parents will ask me, like, well, he did this or he hit me or, you know, and it's like, that's not okay behavior, but he's doing it out of a different motivation. <laughs> Steph and I are good friends and our kids do hang out together. And so I have actually had to come to Steph and be like, what do I tell my kids at mm-hmm. this point? Because it came to a point where my kids were starting to notice. Yeah, it's hard to explain to your kids. Like, that's one thing I really like appreciate about our friendship is that you did come to me and say, like, what do you want me to say? Like, what do I say? Like, it it was hard for me, too, because Mm -hmm. I don't want my kids to treat him differently. I want him I want him to have the same opportunity to have an organic friendship without any kind of label. I want them to treat him how they would treat anybody else. This was after a couple of years of them playing together. I mean, kids start asking questions. Yeah, and when they start asking me questions, I always want to be pretty honest with my kids about things, and I want them to understand diversity, how different people are, you know, have different needs. And so it was an important moment for my kids, too to share about autism and to explain that to them. And I just really appreciated that you did that. And we were going to her house the other day and before all the quarantine, before all the quarantine. Yeah. Yes. Thank you for pointing that out. This was more than a couple of days ago. This yeah. was a couple of weeks back ago. when we were friends before the coronavirus. <laughs> 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 but um, yeah, on the way there, my son goes, Madeline, you got to be easy on him. He has asthma. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Like, he can't I'm breathe like, properly. Like, no, he doesn't have asthma. <laughs> we want to understand him. Like, don't get your feelings hurt. If if we come in and he says that he wants us to leave or he wishes we weren't there mm-hmm. or, you know, that's not anything against you. And I think that's sometimes our motivation for telling people 
is that his reaction is not like telling you to leave is not because he doesn't like you it's because he's uncomfortable that like mom forgot to mention people are coming over and all of a sudden people are in my house and that's one of the things i talked to them about i'm like you guys being over there is gonna gonna be something that might bother him it might not he might be happy to play with you and if he is great and if he's not let him have his space. Mm-hmm. And if he asks you not, to, you know, if you know there's certain toys that he has in an order, like a lot of times he puts his toys in orders, don't mess it up. Like, yeah. or if he asks you not to play with certain toys, don't play with them. Like that was the conversation we had. Aww, it was a- like, there are ways you can help him. And yeah. It, they're pretty simple. And the thing too that's up, uh, like about it is that we've just seen so much improvement and things like this and so I think as he gets older these types of like someone touching my toy is probably going to get easier for him you know but oh I feel like he does really well yeah he's like better yeah and he's so sweet and loving and he really is polite if you if he's not upset he's very nice (laughs) yeah well he's he's always pretty delightful around me and always has lots of manners and how are you today? And I know he'll be like, no, thank you. Thank you for asking. (laughs) Way, way more polite than the average, than the average nine year old. Right. Yeah. He's textbook polite. And he also (laughs) makes you coffee in the morning. Yes. He makes my coffee for me. Um, I think that's pretty incredible. Like I tell my kids that I'm like, yeah, Mike can make Steph coffee in the morning. (laughs) When are you going to learn to do that? <laughs> They're like, uh. No. <laughs> <laughs> I'll so try. Funny. Yeah. They're like, teach me how. And I'm... So um, let's circle back to Izzy, though, trying to take her mother's advice. She does sort of try to fit in or shape her friend's opinion a little bit. Sort of talks her friends into going to homecoming, which Moody and Pearl and the other friend Carl did not want to go. And so she's like, well, I think we should go, you know, as a group. And they sort of agree because Pearl agrees. And But why did she want to go? She wanted to go. I think because... she wanted to prove to the friends that she was going, going to be there with dance with Carl and... But then she takes that kind of far, right? Uh, I thought that was part of her proving it. Like, she asked Carl to dance, and then she, like, moved his hand down to her butt, and then she, like, just grabbed him and kissed him in front of the other girls. I think that was her effort of, like, trying to fit into that mold. Uh, To me, that's the only way she could think of to fit in, or to fit into that mold. And you think that she was doing that to take her mom's advice? I think so, yeah. I think she was trying to fit into that little teenage girl homecoming dress kind of way. Do you think she was using like Mia's advice too? Because you know Mia had told her like if you don't defend yourself who will? Hmm. I really just thought she was trying to do what her mom said and sort of shape what they were saying about her. Did you notice how after like Moody pulled her aside and said like you don't have to prove anything to anybody he said some really nice stuff that we already mentioned about like that's what we love about you like you don't care what people think. Well, she still stormed off, said that he didn't understand. And then Mm -hmm. this made me think, like, is there more than he realizes? Is there more than we realize? Because I have to think, like, if somebody pulled me aside and said that to me and said some really nice stuff, like, I would probably, like, want to hug him and be like, thank you. Like, I definitely do. I agree that there's something else going on. She left the dance and rode the bus home or rode the bus to Mia's house. 
I don't know. I, I just felt like, okay, that seemed like an overreaction for this situation. Because, I mean, it wasn't like anybody else made fun of her or noticed or it wasn't those scenes in the movies where everybody at prom stops and laughs at you. Like, it was fine, you know? Yeah, it was just Only a Moody couple noticed. of snark, snarky, stuck-up girls looking at her from across the room. Mm-hmm. She still could have hung out with Pearl. She's yeah. still, like, I'm trying to think of her alternatives. She still could have hung out with her brother and and her date had punch and a snack and danced and had fun and ignored the girls. Right. Like, so, yeah, I agree. Like, why did she get so upset and leave? But when she left, who does she want? She, I know. She went to Mia's house. Were you surprised to see her there? It did seem like it's just one more betrayal of her going to somebody besides Elena. And we find out that Bill, her dad, knew about the gay bullying yeah. Before Elena ever did, which is just another example. And Elena asked Bill if she knew or if Izzy had told him anything. And he's there at the party. So he's like, it's not the time or place. So we don't know if Bill actually had a conversation with Izzy or if he just has heard something. The, his response kind of made it seem like she had told mm. him or that he had had a conversation with her. But he didn't want Elena to know. And can you imagine why not? <laughs> I feel like she would have just made a huge deal about it. Like, we got to talk about this. We need to go talk to her right now. But, you know, like, she would have elena this situation. Or, you know, like, just anything that's outside of her box. Like she said with the padded bra, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, she would I try just... to shape, shape their story of her family however she wanted it. Yeah, and, I agree. honestly, I don't even think she would care if she was, like, if she was actually gay like she wouldn't be accepting or tolerant of that either right i i feel like i would think that's probably a correct assumption let's let me change your mind about that is how i think elena would act about yeah so do you have any predictions about where this story is going i think that this whole mia and bb and mia being at the party and elena is gonna have some sort of dig into this situation with Mia. And so I'm not sure how Mia's going to handle that in terms of deflecting, you know, not answering any questions, or is she going to come out with some part of the story? I am suspicious about the fact that Mia has been photographing not just the baby, but she also a lot of Elena and Bill mm-hmm. and just their family. The fact that she moved into that house in the first place, I feel like it is, it was intentional. Yeah, I hope we get to piece more of that. I feel like we're going to find out how Mia is connected to Elena and how Mia is also connected to BB previous to how they are together now. Like, I feel like there was some kind of entanglement. Mm-hmm. Um, but the Cleveland thing is huge for me. Really? Uh, something happened in Cleveland. Like the fact that they were both there at the same time period, there is some kind of connection with Mia and Bibi and that baby and Mia's loss of a baby and Bibi's loss of a baby. Also, Elena just being a reporter, being a journalist, I don't know how Elena is involved, but I can't wait to find out. I'm usually the kind of person that I love to read the book before the movie or the TV show. I'm usually pretty adamant about that, but I... I haven't read the book. And so now I kind of don't want to because I'm in the middle of this like 
just watching an episode episode by episode and taking it in. I will say I have read like the first chapter, but I'm careful to stay way behind where we are. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm just, I'm at, like in the book, I'm like barely into anything. Nothing no. I'm saying is coming from the book. <laughs> I felt like this would have changed our opinion so much if I had read the book before. Oh my goodness. Yeah. I like know. I always, I'm like you, I read Big Little Lies before I watched it. I always, when there's a movie, I always read the book first. Always read the book first. I'm excited about it though. I'm really enjoying seeing these episode by episode. I know. I can't want I can't wait to watch episode four. So meet us back here at Pod Clubhouse. And follow us on Twitter at tweet two the number two Steph S T E F and tweet to Lauren L A U R Y N and follow Pod Clubhouse on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and even podhouse.com. Thanks for listening. This is Steph. And this is Lauren. Thank you for listening. This has been an original Pod Clubhouse production. Pod Clubhouse is a podcast network dedicated to encouraging collaboration among podcasters and friends to bring a fresh voice and diverse perspective on a wide array of content. Please visit and leave a comment for us at podclubhouse.com. Rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast feeds on Apple Podcasts. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. You can find us at Pod Clubhouse. Our DMs are always open, and we'd love to hear from you. Ah.